Welcome to Board Games Are For Losers, a podcast where two friends with the same name talk about everything board game related and introduce new players to the hobby. And now, here are your hosts, the biggest losers in all of board gaming, Darren and Darren. Welcome to Board Games Are For Losers. I'm your host, Darren. And I'm also Darren. And in today's episode, we are going to be presenting our interview of board game designer Steve Finn of Dr. Finn's Games. So we recorded this interview during our recent trip to PAX Unplugged 2019. And uh, our interview with uh, Steve Finn, we did on Sunday. Uh, We were lucky enough to get a few minutes of his time on Sunday during a busy convention. But if you want to find out more about what else we did at PAX Unplugged, Uh, Go back and listen to our last episode, episode 24, where we recap everything else we did. Today, we're just going to be presenting our interview with um, Dr. Finn. So, Deron, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Steve Finn and Dr. Finn's Games? So, we got introduced to Dr. Finn's Games um, through our friend Max at the WBCs. He uh, pulled out Cosmic Run, and we played it, and it was, was, we just just had a good time with it and we hadn't heard of um we hadn't heard of steve steve finn and his designs before and so we started looking into um, his other games in terms of he has a pretty big library i think he said over 20 games but i don't even think he knows uh what that number was but some of the games that people might have heard from him in addition to cosmic run and the cosmic run series uh his he's most famous for biblios um and the games some other games we've tried are let them eat shrimp Waters of Nereus and the Little Flower Shop. That's just a few of his designs, and we we wanted to interview him. Um, we like his games, but also his games fit what we were trying to do on this podcast. So that they're that kind of perfect thirty to forty five minute, um, simple to teach, easy to understand, but contain enough depth to engage gamers of all types. And that's what we try to do on this podcast. We're trying to introduce games that are, are not too heavy on people and to get them into gaming. So it's yeah. a perfect fit. Yeah, he's got some great games. I own three of them, Biblios, Cosmic Run, and I have Let Them Eat Shrimp. And I think you own two or three of his games as well? Yep, Cosmic Run Regeneration, Waters of Nereus, and I got the new um, uh, Cosmic Run Express uh, that, that came out on Kickstarter recently. Okay, awesome. So during the interview, uh, which is probably about twenty minutes, we um, we're and we're going to play that right after this intro. Um, but we do talk about two of his games we mentioned, so we wanted to kind of introduce them here, uh, since during the interview we don't take the time to describe the games. But for our listeners who don't know, um, uh, like Dayron said, Biblios is probably one of his. Uh, most popular games actually it's ranked number 335 on board game geek nice um which is really high uh, considering how many tens of thousands of games are ranked on there um it's been out for a while uh i've owned it for a while and it's one of those games that uh tends to come out several times a year no matter how long i've had it um so in biblios the theme is you're a bunch of monks trying to collect books to put in your library and um to do that it's basically just a card game there are cards that are represent books and they come in five different colors and they have values from one to four and there's also some other cards in the deck that represent money uh from values one to three 
But the object of the game is to collect the most of each colored book. And each color is worth a certain number of points uh, for that category. Every color starts at being worth three points, which is represented by a a dice in the middle uh, of the table. But that can change up and down. So the maximum any color is going to be worth a six. And the least is going to be worth one. Whoever has the, the most of a color gets those points, and whoever has the most points wins. Um, and the game is really pretty simple and quick to play. It, it plays in two different phases. The first phase, you acquire these cards, these books. And in the second phase, there's like an auction of leftover books that you try to get a few extra to push you over the top in one particular category. But what's really interesting about this game is is I think is the mechanic in the beginning of how you acquire the card that's very unique. Um, and it's simple. On a turn, players take turns drawing uh, uh, the number of cards uh, based on how many players are in the game. So if there's a four-player game, you draw four cards plus an extra one, and that extra card is going to be auctioned in the second round. But the the twist to the game is when you draw those those five cards, let's say, for a four-player game, you draw them one at a time, and you look at the card, and you decide before you draw a second one, do you want to keep it for yourself? Do you want to put it out on the table for the other three players to be able to pick up? Or do you want to put it in the auction pile face down, and you're the only one who knows what's in that auction pile, that what you put in the auction pile? And it, on your turn, that's it's, it's as simple as that. You pick the five cards, and um, the next player gets to do that. So the first round goes pretty quick, but it's kind of like a little press your luck because you might see a card you really want on your first draw and you keep it, and the next two cards are really good. So you're giving good cards to the other other players. There's a lot of times where you hear somebody flip over a card and go, oh, that's juicy card. Then they flip yeah. the next card and then they start cursing because now they have to flip it up or put it in the auction. It's it's a really cool mechanic. And that's the whole, that's really the, the, the whole heart of the game right there, that mechanic that we just described. But it is, like you said, it's so much fun just kind of pushing your luck, deciding what to put in. And the second round is you auction off those cards that got uh, set aside and you just add up the score. Uh, it's a great Great filler game, uh, Biblios. That's one uh, we'll talk about in the interview coming up next. Yeah, and if you've ever, if the listeners have ever played For Sale, Biblios is basically For Sale, but like a hundred times more mechanically uh, mm-hmm. better and, and interesting. I mean, For Sale, don't get me wrong, I like it, but Biblios takes that and then just pumps in a whole bunch of interesting decisions and a lot of cool mechanics um, in such a short game. Yeah. A really great game. So the other game we talked about is uh, Cosmic Run, and there's actually two versions, right? Correct. So the the game we were introduced to was the original Cosmic Run, and um, Dr. Finn actually re-released it in a, in a game called Cosmic Run Regeneration, and I think he talks about in the interview how he, he thinks this is his uh, best design, and, and the things he fixed in it just tightened up the game. So I own the second version, the regeneration. And basically what it is, it's it's playing Yahtzee in space, but better than normal Yahtzee, obviously. Yeah. Your, your players are racing to discover planets, and how they do that is they roll a set of dice, and they assign those dice to a specific track, planet track, based on its condition. It might be three of a kind or four of a kind. Um, and you're racing to explore those planets to get points, but you're also racing against the clock because as the rounds go on, meteors will start hitting those planets, destroying them, and you, you're forced to collect whatever points based on how far you are. Um, 
what adds to the game is the alien cards. And the alien cards are places you can assign your dice if you want to pick up um, aliens that give you special abilities uh, to manipulate the dice in future rounds. And, and, and Steve will talk a lot about dice manipulation, how that's one of his favorite mechanics to include in games. And it's very prevalent here. And those aliens, in addition to manipulating the dice, also get you points for collecting certain sets. So you're manipulating dice, you're, you're doing a little set collection, and you're ultimately uh, pushing your luck and racing against other players. Great, great game. Yeah, and I think if I'm correct, I we first played this at uh, uh, World Board Gaming Championships in 2017, um, and I immediately tried to find a copy, but it was out of print. So I actually found one on eBay, the original Cosmic Run, and then in 2000, and so I I bought it off of eBay, and then in 2018 he released Cosmic Run Regeneration, and you bought that one. So we yes, I actually uh, I actually demoed it at PAX Unplugged 2018, um, and I think what we figured out is Bill, who who was the one that introduced us and, and got us the interview with with Steve, was was the one demoing it to me, and I didn't even know him at the time, but we came to meet him later, and uh, we'll actually probably have Bill on the podcast in the future to review some of uh, Doctor Finn's games, hopefully. Yeah, and and what's interesting too is both versions of Cosmic Run, like. I still like the original. I mean, I like the regeneration as well. Um, they're different enough where, you know, I, I like, I will play either one and I'll, I'll tend to keep it and you have the, the newer version. So it's pretty interesting. And he talks about his design choices in the interview. Mm-hmm. So with that, um, <clears throat> one other thing we want to mention before we play the interview for you is that uh, Dr. Finn's Games has a new Kickstarter starting on January 13th. It's the game called School of Sorcery and January 13th, 2020, which is going to be uh, about, a, about the same time this podcast releases or a week later. Uh, Deron, you got to play that uh, demo of School of Sorcery at PAX. Why don't you tell us a little bit about it? I didn't get to play it. Yes, yeah, so we uh, again played it at uh, Dr. Finn's booth, and uh, Howie was with me. And the best part about this game is I beat Howie. So that's nice. all you need to know about why this game is good. Uh, that's right. <laughs> it's a two-player. We played a prototype that was, I think, pretty close to being finished, but I won't go into too much detail. It's basically a two-player um, dice rolling and area control game. Um, players are using their dice rolls to assign crystals to cards that are in the middle. And those cards, once you win them, offer different uh, powers for further manipulation of dice or or give you victory points or both. And it's just a race to get to, I think, 15 victory points. Um, it, it really takes the mechanics and the things that you'll hear him talk about and puts it into a game. That, that's, that's why I thought it was really interesting to hear his design background, his design influence. Uh, it really comes out in what the School of Sorcery is going to be. And I think it'll be interesting for our listeners if they're interested in backing the, in, uh, the game School of Sorcery, you'll hear why and uh, why he designed it the way he did and kind of what went into it more than just the mechanics of here's how it works. You're going to hear the thought process that went into it. So I think that's really cool. Yeah. So uh, with that, um, we will we'll play the interview. It talks about Steve talks about his how he gets started in designing games, 
his philosophy and his uh, choices of mechanics over theme. I think it's interesting how he <laughs> does not uh, put much weight in the theme of a game. I would say hates theme. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting. Um, so uh, with that, another note is that the sound quality of the interview is not the best. We had to... Uh, we were fortunate enough to get about 20 minutes of his time on Sunday during a busy convention. It was packed in there. Um, we actually had him leave the convention hall, and we recorded this interview out in the hallway at PAX Unplugged um, using a handheld recorder. So we didn't have much time, um, but we're we're lucky to be able to, to get the interview. So the, the sound quality is not going to be as good. Um, but it was very difficult in there uh, to find any place to do a good recording. Um, so with that, here's our interview of Steve Finn of Dr. Finn's Games. And make sure you check out his uh, Kickstarter, School of Sorcery, on January 13th. All right, we are here at PAX Unplugged 2019 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And joining us is... Steve Finn of Dr. Finn's Games. Steve, thanks for taking time out to uh, from the busy convention to speak with us today. All right, thanks for having me on your podcast. And I bet our regular fans are wondering how we got a legitimate, uh, successful designer on our show. Um, we paid him a lot of money. Uh, we'll get that checked <laughs> to you later. Um, no, one of our uh, friends, Bill, who's part of uh, Darren's Gaming Group, uh, has been friends with you for a long time, I think, right? Yeah, yeah, a few years now. And he, uh, when he, he said he knew you, we, we jumped on that opportunity to come in and interview you. So thank you again for, for coming on. So, yeah, I was just curious, like, how did you start getting into gaming yourself? Like, what's your background? That's, uh, uh, well, getting into gaming, I, I grew up in a family. I've got two brothers and a sister. I was the youngest, and we used to play a lot of board games and poker and things like that yeah. when I was a kid. Uh, but then in my 30s, early 30s, um, I, I was kind of a slacker in Seattle in between graduate programs. I wasn't sure what I was going to, you know, what I was doing. Yeah. And I had some friends there. And we started to play, like, I was like, oh, yeah, I remember that game, Risk, you know, and we mm -hmm. started playing Risk again. And so we were playing a lot of Risk, and at that time, uh, there was, like, I think the Euro board gaming thing was starting to take off a little more than it is. That was, still, you know, that was over, like, 20 years ago. Um, and I just happened to be walking by a store in Seattle. It's not even there anymore. Um, and I just saw those games, and I went in, and I bought this game called Web of Power, which was, uh, which was by Michael Schacht. Well, I believe it's the same person who did Zuloretto okay. and okay, all those yeah, yeah. games. And he's got another other game. You know, he's, he's a fairly well-established designer. And that game now has also gone to Han, China. It's like, uh, by which I mean it's been uh, rethemed right, okay. multiple times. But okay. it's a solid game. It's an amazing game. Uh, probably one of the best, like, 30-minute and under games for area control. Okay. But I bought that game because it was kind of like Risk. At least yeah. it had a European, you know, like a, a map. It had uh, area control which I didn't even know that word at the time. <laughs> um, and we played it. I was like, wow, this is so great. you know. Yeah. But that, and then we just played that game like literally hundreds of mm -hmm. times. We'd yeah. sit, down on, sit down and just play like five, six times in a row. And at some point, I just got a little bored with playing the same <laughs> game hundreds of times. And I was like, I went back to the store. you know, And then that was it. Yeah. And then I was like, oh, now I can't play the same game right. you know, two times in a row. Right. Uh, so I got always like, oh, what's new? What's new? What's new? Yeah. You know? Uh, so that's how I got into to board uh, gaming, playing. How did you make the transition to designing? Because that's a yeah. Big so uh, you know, I have actually really, I think, a kind of a unique or interesting interesting story in this uh, industry. Um, 
I, I was in Seattle, and I just had some free time. You know, I was working <laughs> coffee shops and uh, making sandwiches and things like that, and I said, you know, what am I going to do? Oh, I'll just make a game. Yeah. Uh, and right now, you know, you can you can throw a stone and hit anybody. I don't know if that's the right metaphor. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. anybody's like, oh, I'm designing a game. Right, right. You know, uh, everybody's designing a game now. Yeah. You know, 20, 25 years ago, I, I don't know how many people were doing this. Sure, yeah. And I said, oh, you know what, I think I can make a game myself. Yeah. So uh, I made a game, and uh, I decided, it. I was like, how can I... Can I, can I just make this myself, like physically manufacture it myself? Yeah. I said, how would I do this? And so I started looking into uh, manufacturing of cards, because surprisingly, that's the hardest part of, of just making your own game, because yeah, this is a card game, uh, but like getting nice quality cards. So I went off on this tangent of you know, going to print shops, finding out the right paper quality, how do they cut them, uh, what kind of die cutter is used, and all this stuff. And I ended up uh, making an arrangement with a local print shop to make off these full-color prints on, like, 11 by 17 sheets of cardstock, glossy cardstock, uh, for, like, they let me do a color print for, like, five cents yeah. if, oh. I did, if I did a lot. Yeah. And they just said, come into our print shop and do that. And then I bought a Kluge letterpress. Go to Google, look it up. Okay. It's yeah. a, like, a war-era big two-ton piece of machinery that uh, lifts the little sheets of paper with the suction cups. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a big spinning wheel. And, <laughs> and then I had a die cutter. It made it into a die cutter yeah. to cut the cards. Wow. And so I said, you know, so I made, so I actually used to make, I had a company called Dr. Fan's Card Company before the game company. And I used to make like wedding cards for people. So, like, give me all the pictures of your friends and I'll put them on poker cards. Um, so I did that, you know, just small little things. I wasn't making any money, but it was just like this little side thing. Yeah. And then I made. Biblios, uh, okay. which is not called Biblios, but I called it Scripts and Scribes. Okay. I put it in a VHS case. I made like 250 copies, and then I sent them out to, I found out about Board Game Geek at that time, and I sent it to a number of reviewers, like 10 people. One guy in particular, Stormseeker75, that's <laughs> his BGG name. Still remember that. Oh, I remember. Yeah, no, I know him now. His name's Steve, and uh, you know, I met him now a couple yeah. times. He loved the game, yeah. and he was like one of these influential guys. Yeah. And he... Um, just said, oh, it's a great game. And he just started telling all the people about it. And then people were starting to contact me. Yeah. Hey, can I get your game? Yeah. So I was actually physically making them in my garage, wow. printing them up, sticking them in VHS cases. I did the artwork myself, which was basically I went online and I found old, uncopywritten, you know, uh, things from like the Middle Ages. Right. And then I used Photoshop to do it. Wow. And I have zero artistic talent. <laughs> uh, but it ended up like working. And then somehow... One of these boxes made it to France yeah. to the hands of uh, people from the company Yellow. Mm -hmm. yeah. And they did not yet make any games. My game, Biblios, is Yellow's first game. Oh, wow. A lot of people don't know, know this. That. I know. Your first game and their first game. It was my first game, game and their wow. first game. And wow. it's still one of their best-selling games to date. So there's a, that's the... That's the story. That's and, a yeah, pretty like unique a story. Don't know that. That's yeah. a really interesting story. And it's, it's kind of funny because you, a lot of people, it seems like they come up with the idea for a game. Like, we all have ideas for yeah. a game. But well, then no, brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> yours is brilliant, of course. He won't tell me. <laughs> <Yeah. that. laughs> um, but they have no concept of, like, the business behind it. Right. It sounds like you got, you got the sense of, like, how do I make this first? You created your own company yes. to create yeah, other yeah. cards. And then you went into the, the game design. That's pretty interesting. I assume you outsource the production now? Well, no. Uh, oh, yeah, now, yeah. yeah. It's, it's been a long time. I actually made a couple games. Uh, there was some older games out there. You know, there's uh, one called Let's Bomb My Rack. 
Okay. I made. Really? Yeah, I pulled that off of BGG because I work at uh, West Point now, and I didn't want right. <laughs> to explain that one. Have to explain that Are one. there any hobbies uh, floating around? There, I, I actually don't know. I don't know if I have one. Uh, I, and then Slush Fund is another one, but I actually ended up reprinting that. And then I had one called Trial of Socrates. And what's funny is there's a couple people out there that have every one of my games, yeah. and they have those games, and okay. I don't even have those games. <laughs> That's great. And I'm like, I, didn't, I, don't, I looked at my garage, I don't, my attic, I don't have that game. And they won't give it back. And I, well, I didn't ask. <laughs> no, I'm not going to take it back. Anyway. Um, how do you know how many games you've designed? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. If you include those self-published yeah. ones, my guess is 25. Okay, you know? okay. And, you know, so it's like 25 to 30 that I've all by, by designed, like, and completed Right. Some process. Yeah. Yeah, it's about 25. Of your games, what is your personal favorite? Now, people ask me that all the time. Yeah. It's almost always the one I'm just working on. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fair answer. Um, but I have to say that Cosmic Run Regeneration, I usually, if someone said, what game should I buy of all of mine? And I usually say that one because I think it's, it's to me, the most fun. Yeah. And it appeals, it'll appeal to lots of different types of people. Gamers can still get enjoyment out of it. They know it's like not a super serious game. Because yeah, there's dice rolling and there's, you know, like lots of stuff. But there's always one moment when people are playing, there's always one moment in the game that, like, everyone bursts out laughing because, yeah. like, they oh, yeah. just rolled five of a kind, they needed yeah. five of a kind, and, you know, or, like, the planet just got destroyed yeah. before they uh, made it to the planet. Yeah. So I usually say that's, like, the most fun game I have. I agree because yeah. the weird thing is we, we game together all the time. Cosmic Run, is, I think, is the only game that we both own. Yes. I think of our library. Now, do you have the original? I have the original regeneration. I have regeneration. Run was the first game I played from you, and our friend Max introduced it to us. And then as soon as we played, I was like, I got to play this again. And then we kind of stumbled upon your other games from there. It's like these are these are my type of games. I don't yeah. love two hour, three hour. Oh yeah, no, yeah. I yeah. love the thirty to forty five minute time frame things I can play with my wife. She doesn't like the heavy stuff, so I like fell in love with uh, Cosmic Run, and then from yeah, there it was over. yeah. That's a great one. Um, outside of your games, what are some of your like top three favorite games that you know, if we were to sit down to play a game, what would you want to play? Yeah, again, I have, uh, I just have so many games, and I, I I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, it's not necessarily games, but it's certain designers. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I mean, Reiner Knizia for it's, mm-hmm. anybody would probably guess that he's a huge influence on me. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's made whatever thousands of games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah many yeah. games he has, and some of them are just like you know you. They're all perfect. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like they're, and then some are terrible. Yeah. But the fact is, I'll always, like, any time that he has a game, I'll always say, I'm going to look at that. Check Stephen, it out, yeah. Even though Stefan Feld is not the kind of game maker, I, you know, we are different, I always, always check out him, too. Okay. okay. And then the other guy, uh, so right now, like, uh, a game that I like a lot is Cacao. Okay. Uh, which is, uh, so the guy who made Sushi Go, Phil Walker, yeah. Harding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's a game called Cacao. Um, he also made Baron Park. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, kind of what happened was I was starting to discover, like, oh, I like this game. I like that game. I like that. I'm like, oh, he did that. He did that. Yeah. He did that. So now I'm kind of, like, big on him. Yeah. And I'm like, you know, so he has a new game out now called Silver and Gold, which I haven't played yet, but I want to check that out. I did play test yeah. here, and it, it was fun. Okay. It was, it was, it was a good flip and write. It was, it was good. Good. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, like, his, his games are always good. Mm-hmm. Now, one game that really came out, came out, it's not a lot of people talk about it, but I really liked Ponzi Scheme. Oh, oh, that is our uh, uh, right baby. I, I love it. My wife gets very angry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She okay. Will not play it. I really the, like it. The reason that I like, because I'm not a theme guy, but a lot of people talk about 
theme and integration and all, yeah. you know, and I don't design games like that. And to be honest, I really don't care yeah. about what the theme is. Yeah. It is, to me, it's just a logical thing of pushing cubes around, playing the cards, right. rolling the dice or whatever. Um, but for what, you know, that particular game, I think really did just like capture the feeling that you would think of when you were in a Ponzi scheme and, and about to get caught. I 100% <laughs> agree. My wife, his wife 100% disagrees. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Screaming when she goes, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that. Well, yes. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I take it all back. <laughs> so you brought, up, you brought up the theme aspect. So I was going to ask you, it sounds yeah. like you kind of answered this. When you were designing a game, is, is mechanics driving it first, and then you're kind of... Yeah, almost always. Okay. Almost yeah. always. Okay. Sometimes I'll just come up with a theme that I'll say, oh, that'll be an interesting theme, but then I, and then I just make up mechanics. But it's not like the theme made me choose a particular kind of mechanic. Right. Okay. You know, and sometimes, like, even, like, uh, the way Herbaceous, so I, I, I have a, an arrangement with uh, Eduardo Baraf of Pencil First Games, okay. and uh, so I don't know how familiar you are with that Sobel... Her artwork, yeah, right? Yeah. So she did Wingspan, but she was working with with other people long before Wingspan, and she's like the best artist. Oh yeah. So uh, my relationship with him became became uh, began after I sent him some games to review because he would do reviews, uh, but then he also does some own self publishing and he does his own uh, his own little you know publishing company, and he came to me one time. Uh, he I found out that he grew up in the place that I was living in New York, so when he was coming back home uh, one time, he just, we met, and he just showed me this artwork. He just threw out cards, and it had these beautiful herbs on them, and he said, do you think you can make a game with this? Huh. And I said, yeah, I'll make a game with that. <laughs> so in that case, it was actually the artwork right. came first. Wow. You know, so I was like that, and I, I also, my little flower shop was inspired, because I went over to my son's friend's house for a play date. And uh, the woman, the mom, uh, she had artwork around her uh, house. Yeah. And she's an artist. And yeah. she does floral artwork. Okay. And I said, let's make a game. Yeah, so I was like, all right, what can I do? I, yeah. got, I got some art here. It's beautiful flowers. What can I do? And I was like, all right, let's make a flower shop game. Yeah. What's your, uh, your go-to mechanic if you're going to design a game? What's your favorite mechanic to put in a game? Mm, that's interesting. Or do you like to try out different ones? Well, I know, one, I, I know things I don't like. Okay. Uh, deck building. I can't okay. stand deck building. So it'll be never. I'll never make a deck building yeah. game. Okay, that's true. I was trying to think of it. There's yeah. no deck building. Yeah. You know, I, I think I, I like push your luck. Okay. I like. Uh, so the funny thing is, I hate I hate dice games usually. Uh, like I didn't like dice games, but a lot of my games now have dice. Yeah. That's funny though. Is Biblios you don't roll with dice. Right. You know, I, I use those for right. mechanics because right. I mean for uh, components. I think yeah. every review yeah. you see on Biblios, someone says. There's these great big dice, but you don't do well, anything. Uh, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a I just made game. another game now where there's one common set of dice that's rolled, and then everyone turns their own dice to match it. Okay. I think I, that's probably happened in some other game, I'm sure. But yeah, you're not rolling your own dice, yeah. you know, but, yeah. they're, but they're still there. So you frequently use dice manipulation. Right? I use dice manipulation and things like that. So dice manipulation, if you count that as a mechanic, I would, yeah. So that's a, something I use a lot. Okay. Um, area control. I'm really big in area control. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I like just the, the fighting over different things. Okay. Yeah. Then that goes back to your, the, the risk, kind of, the risk. Yeah, the risk now. thing, yeah. So, yeah. no, it's, it's clear to me, like, also, like, I was a big Rio Grande games guy. I, like, those were all the things I buy, and I think they were really big in air and control when they were 
Yeah, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the El Grande. Yeah, El, El Grande. So, yeah, El Grande is definitely one of my, like, favorite yeah. games. Okay. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah. Okay. Very cool. Right. So, typically... It's those, I would say, like, those kind of classic big map yeah. games, but, I, you know, not like, uh, I don't want war games or historically, right. you know, like, really super accurate. Yeah. I just want the cubes and the, <laughs> and the pretty maps. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. So, typically, just in general, how long does it take you to design a game, and how do you know when it's done? Uh, it's never done. <laughs> it just gets to the point where I'll, I feel like I can throw it out into the world. Okay. Yeah. But I'll say, I always, afterwards, I just, you know, years later, I'll look back and I say I made a mistake. Okay. You know? But yeah. at the time, I don't think I make a mistake. Right. Yeah. yeah. But I've learned more and I keep going. So, like Cosmic Run and Cosmic yeah. Armor Generation, yeah. I totally feel like I nailed the new version. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just so much better. Yeah. In all respects. Yeah. Um, that doesn't mean like the original one was bad. I, I still love like, you know, I, I, yeah. 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 So, I, you know, I get to a point where I feel like I'm not going to embarrass myself by okay. making, getting other people <laughs> to play this. That's it. Like, I don't have like a high, it's not like I have really a high bar. I right. don't make super complicated right. games. Sure. And it's, you know, in every game, you can always change everything. Right. No game is ever perfect. Yeah. And, yeah. and I never feel like I've made a perfect game. Yeah. I always feel like, okay, good. I, I Hopefully I made another fun game where yeah. people have to think. Yeah. And there'll be some moments of excitement. Yeah. And that's really yeah. all I'm looking for. What's the best part about a uh, convention like PAX um, for you? The number of people that come by and who have never heard it. You know, I've been doing this for so long, mm-hmm. and yet uh, half the people that come up, I say, have you heard of Dr. Fence Games or have you heard of Bibliose? Have you heard of Herbaceous? No, no, no. Huh? Huh. But then there's the other good thing. So one good thing is just the sheer quantity of people gets exposure yeah you know and almost almost every time someone sits down at my table and plays a game they buy one yeah so it's always like positive affirmation but then the other part is even though I've you know I haven't working hard and I actually do have a reputation in certain circles so what's really exciting is when you know just like someone who I respect a lot says oh you're a Dr. Finn I I love your games yeah Yeah. Uh, we definitely push your games we push Biblios all the time Uh, Cosmic Run those are ones that come out several times a year yeah, so we always introduce people to that. Um, what what new stuff do you have that you want people to know about? Right, so I have, a, a, again, I, I've remade another game. It was called Institute for Magical Arts to start, but now it's going to be called School of Sorcery. Okay. And it's a two-player, like, Harry Potter-esque world of uh, card. Uh, it's area control. You're trying to capture, well, you're trying to win cards, which have, you know, magical items and people on them. Yeah. And that's how you score points, but they give you additional powers. Okay. So it's a dice rolling, dice manipulation, uh, area control game with uh, card powers. Okay. And that's coming on Kickstarter January 13th. Okay. Uh, okay. All right. You know, 2020. Okay. And uh, I've so operated all the art. podcast release. Yeah, yeah, soon like, after this. Yeah. look at the Kickstarter. Yeah. Okay. Yes. And Howie and I play tested that on uh, Friday, yeah. and I beat him, so it must yeah. be the best game <laughs> I can beat Howie at a That's game. true. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. Yeah. It was a good two-player yeah. game for sure. Uh, anything else? Any other new games? Uh, yeah, well, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm working with other publishers now more. I'm trying to. Okay. So I think in, if you ask me this in about a year, uh, there'll be probably two or three games that are going to be with bigger, and ho- hopefully one in particular, much bigger publisher. Okay. Uh, okay. So we'll find out. Awesome. Yeah. So January the Kickstarter, where can people yeah, go if they want to get your games? Uh, DrFins.com. You okay. spell out doctor. Okay. Spell out doctor, DrFins.com. And it's Fins like uh, Huckleberry Finn. Okay. Yeah. All it. right. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for coming on. It's awesome. We, we look forward to playing your new games. We look forward to have, hopefully having you back on next year at PAX and, and, and see your name in the big company light. So it would be great.
Super. Excellent. Thanks a lot, Steve. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. For more information about the podcast, check out www.boardgamesareforlosers.com. If you have questions that you want answered on the show, or if you just want to tell us that you still think we're losers, you can email us at boardgamelosers at gmail.com. You can chat with other losers in our forums over at boardgamegeek.com by visiting guild number 3300. And don't forget to check out our amazing board game photography on Instagram by following at Board Game Losers. <laughs>